tonight's just happens to be about angels and Satan and demons. And um, I didn't plan it that way. I was just going through core beliefs of what we believe as Christians. And uh, it's here. It's real. And so um, I had one of the things Miss Donna uh, had given me, Miss Donna Littrell had given me this morning was uh, she had done a study on the devil um, years ago, I guess. I don't know when it was. But uh, I was trying to print that off for everybody. And again, uh, there was no cooperation with the, the printer. But um, she has an amazing, I, I would like to, I'll see if I can't this week, maybe um, get some copies of this and bring them back next Sunday evening. And anybody who wants some, because what it is, it says, um, she just lists scripture and the, the data on the devil, the things that he tries to do. Uh, he's called some of his names, the prince of devils, prince of the power of the air. There's scriptures associated with all of these. This comes straight from the Bible. The prince of this world, a sinner from the beginning, the one cast from heaven, um, a murderer and a liar. Uh, he's the tempter. Uh, he desires to have the disciple Peter at one point and so on. Facts about Satan. His name before the fall was Lucifer. He was in Eden. He was the anointed cherub of God. He was adorned with precious stones, possessed great musical ability, was the perfection of wisdom and beauty. He fell through pride. He attempted to steal God's throne. He wanted to be like God. He is intelligent. He has memory. He has a will. He has desires. He has pride. He has wrath. And he's a great organizer of things, as we see in the way that he sends out the, the, his demonic forces. Uh, the names of Satan, we know so many of them, but he's the accuser of the brethren, the angel of light, the liar, murderer, the enemy, a roaring lion, the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age, the king of death, the ruler of darkness, activities of Satan. He has a false trinity. In fact, um, I, I, I'm devoid on the scripture reference at this moment, but um, the pride of the eyes, the pride of, help me, what's the unholy trinity? The pride of the eyes. The pride of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We call that the unholy trinity in that it's the essence of how Satan tries to undermine everything. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He tries to trap you in those, right? Um, Satan has his own synagogues. We read about that in the book of Revelation chapter 2. Uh, we know that one day he's trying to set his antichrist up on uh, the very throne because that temple will be or will, it will be rebuilt on the mound there in Jerusalem. Satan has his own doctrines. He is mysterious. Uh, he has his own throne. He's got a kingdom here now. Uh, he has worshipers. He has his angels and ministers. He performs miracles only after the Lord performs them. We saw that uh, with Aaron and Moses. Satan um, has those who sacrifice to him. And his armies, he sows tares among God's wheat. He instigates false doctrine. He perverts the word of God. He hinders the works of God's servants. He resists the prayers of God's servants. And he blinds men to the truth. And uh, I will make copies of this, but it's just really good because there's a scripture uh, where that's found in the Bible. Uh, the reference is right there. And man, Miss Donna, I've read that a few times this afternoon, and it's really good. You did good work. Um. You know, uh, I want to be—I want to have fun tonight. I want to be lighthearted, but I also want to teach. And unfortunately, when you talk about Satan and demons, a lot of it isn't very fun to talk about. It's kind of scary, in fact, right? And I think I've told you guys that in seminary, one of the elective classes that uh, 
I could have taken, and I actually did take it, but I was scared to take it, was called demonology. And the professor said, you need to know your enemy. You need to know what you're up against. And so we went into depth in some of those things, and um, it just really makes your skin crawl because the whole time I was in that class, I thought, man, if I and if we could have spiritual eyes to be able to see like Balaam, Balaam's donkey. You remember that story, how uh, the donkey kept moving over to the side and Balaam was whipping him, man. And he's like, what's wrong with you, you stupid donkey, you know? And, and all of a sudden, an angel appeared. The donkey could see it. He couldn't. I think if we had spiritual eyes to see what was around us sometimes, we'd be getting close to the rock too, you know? We'd be moving out of the way. And so we don't see uh, the spirit world. We feel its effects all around us, but we don't see the demons. We don't see the angels. We don't see the battles that are taking place around us. Even, you know, I wonder sometimes in our own homes, in our, in our workplaces, around the church house, you know, what is he conspiring against us? And while that's scary, the greatest comfort in any of this is that God is so much stronger. He is for us. He, has, he is with us. He holds us in his hand. Nothing can destroy us when we're under God's care. He takes care of us. He loves us, and we're protected in him. And I love that fact. That's the most beautiful of all. And so where I want to start tonight with you guys is um, I have some scriptures on the screen uh, there's a lot of information to really try to cover in a night when you talk about angels and Satan and demons. And Marvin, I may, my brother Marvin has uh, put scriptures that I asked him to on the screen, but I may jump around where those don't necessarily fall. So um, I wanted to answer a question to begin with this evening. And uh, the first question, I wrote down questions because that's how I try to teach from is me answering a question through scripture and the first question is, how, why, and when did Satan fall from heaven? And the Bible talks about that, right? And so um, I want you guys to, do, to turn to two places, okay? Isaiah 14. If you've got your Bibles tonight, this isn't on the screen. But if you've got Bibles, if you don't, you just listen, okay? Isaiah 14 is the first place we're going to be and give you time to find it. Isaiah 14, Isaiah is a huge book. Okay, if you find Isaiah 14, just put your, put your bookmark there or put your hand there and flip over um, and go in towards the New Testament. You got Jeremiah and then Lamentations and then go to the book of Ezekiel, okay? And Ezekiel is a pretty large book too. Ezekiel 28. I want you guys to kind of understand the basis of Satan because I think when you explain Satan or try to explain Satan and teach about him a little bit, um, the demonic part just follows suit. And then we'll talk about angels. All right. Um, Let's go for Isaiah 14 first. Um, do, have, do you have a Bible with you that you can read? Okay, I, that's okay. I don't want you to have to do that. I thought you had that. Anybody want to read? Johnny, will you read somebody that's already got there, turned there? Isaiah 14. Would you read out loud verses 12, 13, and 14, please?
Okay. The prophet Isaiah is speaking here, and he's speaking about uh, the restoration of Jacob, the restoration of Israel, and what's going to occur. And he tells us in this story, and we have pieces of this, like in Isaiah and Jude and Ezekiel and different places kind of throughout Scripture where you see what happened. We don't have an exact time and date. Uh, We know that Satan must have already fallen because he was the serpent in the Garden of Eden, right? So uh, this has happened before Adam and Eve. When did it happen? Well, we had this discussion today, and Miss Cat's going to tell us everything about the Old Testament that we need to know, all right? Go ahead, Miss Cat. I'm teasing. We had a, a conversation about this in Sunday school this morning, just about when did stuff happen and how do we know when to date it? Well, we don't know all the dates exactly. We can go back through genealogies and times and histories, but we do know that Satan has already fallen. He's already a bad dude. He's no longer Lucifer, the angel of light. He's Satan, the enemy of men's souls. And so he tempts Adam and Eve. How does that happen? You know, at what point does that happen? How long had Adam and Eve been in the garden? No idea. You don't know, I don't know. Nobody knows, okay? So just believe that. But in this verse in Isaiah, in this passage in Isaiah that Brother Johnny just read, he says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. Uh, Lucifer was the shining one, the glorious one. That's what his name meant. He was beautiful, uh, if we can understand this archangel who had such power. But God's saying here through the prophet, how you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I'll ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I'll set my throne on high. I'll sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I'll ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll make myself like the most high. Satan's sin, Lucifer's sin, was pride, and that's what led him to fall. I think, I really do think this, okay, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think that every other sin emanates, begins from the sin of pride because you want something for yourself, whether it's glory, lust, power, prestige, money, fame, whatever it is, it's a longing for you to have at the expense of someone else. And Christianity is so much the opposite. It is literally laying down your life, what Jesus says, to sacrifice this agape love so that others can have. And we know this, that you never have a shortfall of grace or mercy or kindness or love when you give it away. Uh, There's no deficit. The more you give, literally, the more you get. But with Satan, it's the more you take, the more you harm somebody else. And it's so such an awful system that Satan has set in place. And so... Um, I want to read the next one, if you have it, Ezekiel chapter 28. This goes right in line with the fall of Satan. Ezekiel 28, verse 12 through 18. And um, let me just read that since I'm up here. Um, the, chapter 28, the title in my Bible is a prophecy against the prince of Tyre and uh, Tyre. <laughs> and there's a lot just to learn about this, this prince or king of Tyre. But here we have what is called the lament over the king. And the Lord, verse 11 is where I want to start. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Who's this? Ezekiel, the prophet. And he said, son of man, raise a lamentation. You know, weep, mourn, be sorrowful over the king of Tyre. And say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet. Of perfection. Now, he's not talking about uh, 
Prophecy oftentimes had a near and a far effect, but I really believe with all my heart that he's talking about Lucifer here. And there's some, there's some things that set it off to kind of let us know this. He says, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. That's how God created Lucifer. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, we know that that's Satan or Lucifer because it can't be the king of Tyr. The king of Tyr didn't live when Eden existed, okay? So kind of duh, all right? You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. By the way, check that out. Lucifer was created. All angels were creating. Everything except for the Trinity that exists was created by God. Does that mean God made Satan? We have to, we'll have to talk about that in a second. God created Lucifer. Lucifer of his own free will and accord sinned against God. God did not create sin, okay? But God has always had a plan to combat and redeem sin, okay? So that's important. If we're to say that, because that's what some will argue, well, God created Satan, so God created sin. Why did he do that? He didn't, okay? Uh, sin comes from a free will of rebellion, out of pride. Let's keep reading. On the day you were created, these things were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. Where did I want to go to? Verse 18. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. So it tells you there, God created him uh, righteous. God created him blameless. This stuff that Satan did for his fall was on Satan himself. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. God literally, even God had mercy upon Satan and the demons that fell by creating a place and abode for them called hell. Why he didn't wipe them out, guys, we don't know. Right? Answer that question. Uh, you'll, you'll go insane trying to answer that question. It's enough to know that God's perfect. God's ways are perfect. He knows what he's doing. We don't. But he says, I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Literally, I kicked you out of heaven. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst, and it consumed you. He created hell. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Um, Satan's fall from heaven. Uh, a lot of this may be symbolic. Um, you know, some of this, uh, I, 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 obviously Satan's still alive, so he wasn't completely destroyed and consumed. So we see this in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And these two passages refer uh, really to the kings of Babylon and Tyre, but they were also references to the power behind those kings, who is Satan. These passages describe why Satan fell, but they don't specifically say when the fall occurred. What we do know is this, and I've already said this, the angels were created before the earth. 
You want a, a scripture reference for that? It's Job 38. Read Job 38. The angels were created before the earth, right? Before humanity was created. There's no uh, account in the six days of creation context that angels were created, but we knew they existed, right? So they had to be created sometimes before the six days of creation because it's not specifically mentioned in Genesis 1, right? Whoo, there's a lot, of ans- a lot of questions to ask for all this stuff, right? I, I do want this. I'm trying to explain it in kind of rapid-fire succession, knowing that there's gaps because this is an overview. <laughs> if you have questions, ask them. I cannot promise you that I'll answer, be able to answer them. Uh, if I can, I mean, I'll go do some research and study and email or call you or whatever you need. But don't be a- afraid to, s- to step up and ask, you know, at all. But these angels, we do know... Um, that they were, uh, they were created before the earth began. Job 38 talks about that. Satan had fallen before he tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan's fall must have occurred somewhere after the time the angels were created and before he tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Whether Satan's fall occurred hours, days, or years before he tempted Adam and Eve, Scripture doesn't say. The book of Job tells us at least at that time, Satan still had access to heaven and to the throne of God. Remember what Job chapter 1 says? One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Do you remember that from the book of Job, the first chapter? Satan shows up in the procession line with the angels, and he's before God. And and here's what kind of blows my mind, and I'm like, okay. Sin is not supposed to be allowed in the presence of God. Yet here's Satan. And so God was permitting Satan, he's not Lucifer anymore, he's Satan, to come into the throne room of heaven. It's kind of mind-boggling to me. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And so there's a question. Is Satan in hell today? Hmm. He's roaming the earth. He is roaming to and fro throughout the earth, seeking someone that he may devour. Brother Charles, can angels sin? They did. What's to keep them from doing that now? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Let me ask you this. Okay. There were a third of the angels that rebelled with Satan and were cast. Yeah. All angels were created by God, though. Yeah. That's right. I think, yeah, and I can jump. I can jump in my notes here. Yeah, it sure is. Yes, ma'am, Miss June. Can I turn this on, Mickey? 
It's number four. I'm sorry. Trash. Uh, since one third of them had the ability to rebel, they all must have been created with the ability to rebel, but they chose not to. Yeah, I, I, I tend to believe that. Uh, we know that the angels that are in heaven, the two-thirds, are called elect angels. Um, I don't know in reference if, I don't believe God elected anybody to be sinner and to fall from grace. You know, I don't believe that. I believe that God created angels. You know, humans were created a little lower than the angels, Scripture says. Angels have this high power, but there's something to say when the angels fell that they went straight to hell. Right, uh, the, the 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 fallen angels, which are demons, went to hell. Yes, sir. We have authority in the name of Jesus through that. Yes, and yep. Later on, we have a higher place um, in eschatological purposes in the end times. Right? Possibly. Hey, that's a good point. You guys are going to blow my mind tonight, okay? Let me say this. God offered salvation to Adam and Eve when they fell through sin. He did not offer salvation to an angel when they had fallen. And obviously one-third, according to the Word of God, fell. But was it an innate desire? Do all angels have the ability to sin still today? And if so... Why hasn't there been a rebellion and a breaking away since then? And that's an excellent question. Brother Ron, you got the answer to that? Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> yeah, I think that there is definitely that. Yeah, golly, Johnny. Johnny's questions, I'm telling you. I already don't know the answer. I t- It doesn't say that in Scripture. Yeah, you're right. And plus, there's a... That's exactly right. Yeah, he did. You're right. And every sinner will stand before the Lord in judgment. So there is absolutely that allowance and permissiveness. Yes, sir. That I'm not using. Did they not despise good those who went astray? They despise what is good. I'm trying to remember exactly what you said. What what you think about that verse? It does. Here's the crazy thing to me. Why would an angel who's seen God and seen the glory and spectacle and marvel of God, all those that existed before the fall, how? Yeah, I mean, they thought they could have what God has. To, to, to rebel against God. I can go with that. Um, let me tell you something about angels. Let's just jump there, okay? 
Angels, uh, well, let me ask you all this. What's the purpose of angels, period? Uh, I'm not talking about demons or fallen angels, but what's the purpose of angels? Say it out loud. To do God's will, to do God's will right? And to watch over us. Rob, Rob knows all this stuff inside and out and backwards, right? I know you do. Do the work of God. They're messengers of God. Praising God at all times. We're going to get that light fixed at some point in time back there. I'm sorry for y'all that sit back there and it flashes on and off. Uh, that's annoying to me to sit and look at. Uh, I might shoot it down. I think I said that last, last time we were in here. What else about angels? What do you know about angels? Are they, are they to be worshipped? No way, man. Who's the only one worthy of our worship? God. That's right. Yeah. A lot of people have this mistaken view. Well, a lot of people like the cartoon depiction, okay, where Mickey Mouse or Goofy is standing there and a little red fellow with a tail and a pitchfork pops up on one shoulder and this angel with wings and a halo pops up on the other shoulder and we kind of think that that's what an angel and a, a, a demon are. The, what, and it's not so. Um, they're spirits <laughs> with a halo. Guardian angel. I agree with that. I agree. I just don't think they look that way. That's my that's my point. I, I totally agree with you, Johnny. I think, okay, I've mentioned this book before, and I think Rhonda said she read it, and is like, man, I don't know about that book. C.S. Lewis wrote a book years and years ago called The Screwtape Letters, all right? You read it, and you're like, eh, shaking your head over there. Yeah. Okay. Granted, granted, it's 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 it is set in this idea to teach us as believers about how uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this book, and it's a, a, a head demon, Wormwood, I believe his name is, and his nephew, who is a new demon, and the the it kind of maybe not lightheartedly. Uh, the, the head demon is sending out and teaching the young demon and training him how to attack us. And he says, it's very real. And that's why it's scary. Because he looks at us, and listen, Satan is not, not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. But man, we're big mouths, right? We voice, and I'm so scared about this. Somebody listening? Man, I, I hate myself. Somebody listening? You know, and uh, I hate the way I look. I can't stand to look at myself in the mirror. I, 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 I can't stand her. I, you know, whatever. Satan's listening. Man, you're giving him bullets for the gun. That's why you're to guard your tongue. And so I don't mean that to tell you that, well, I mean, it's worse than Big Brother, all right? Our phones listen to us. You know, they do. 
Uh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I do know this, that the things that we say, especially the negative self-images and the negative uh, castrations that we make about people and these things, the enemy knows to use those, and he will shoot darts that he equips the tip just with that. Oh, he hates that woman? I'm going to make sure he has a whole dose of that woman tomorrow. Yeah. That's right. That's what I understand, too. Yep. I want to. I like to give you scripture and verse for stuff and and. Y'all keep me accountable when I, when I don't do that. Just like you said, with Satan coming in the presence of Jesus in the wilderness, Job coming into the presence of God in heaven. I mean, that's legitimate, right? Uh, we're told that God will not permit sin into his heaven. And we mean that from this sense of an unredeemed person doesn't inherit eternal glory. And I think, you know, there could be some confusion there. You're not going to be in the presence of God worshiping Jesus for all eternity if you have if you never confessed or have been redeemed of your sin. So that's evident, right? But I do agree with you that there are these instances, especially um, where Job, uh, where the, the, Satan comes in and God asks him, what are you doing here, you know, or what do you want? And at, at times, I'm not trying to avoid the angel question, but I have this in a kind of a procession order so that I can think through it, okay? So bear with me and then come back to asking questions. But... Apparently, um, Satan could, at least at that time, move freely. I mean, Johnny's right. God has to grant that. Satan has to ask permission uh, from the Lord. And Satan could, at that time, speak directly to God. Um, Whether God has discontinued this matter, I don't know. Um, But some say Satan's access to heaven was ended at the death of Christ. I don't have a scripture and verse for that. Yeah? book of revelation it's going to be there's going to be something that's presence that's allowed again by god and it is all allowed it's all by permission of god you're right uh god allows that to come back in uh and then at the judgment you know that that's absolutely evident um some people believe i do know this that satan's um access to heaven will be ended at the end times um armageddon um But why did Satan fall from heaven? Well, we know this. He fell because of pride. He wanted to be God, not just a servant of God. It wasn't good enough for him to be probably the most beautiful angel and probably the angel with the most power and, and, and if you want to call it, glory that God gave any angel. That wasn't enough for Satan. He wanted the next step. He wanted Godship. And um, we know uh, that he was beautiful. We know that he was very high in his power. He was anointed as a cherub. Um, He had great uh, position. Uh, But Satan desired to be God, uh, basically to kick God off of his throne and take over the rule of the universe. Um, And kind of essentially what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with in the garden was the same thing. So how did Satan fall from heaven? A fall probably isn't the most accurate description it would be more accurate to say God cast Satan out of heaven, right? Satan didn't just fall into hell. God kicked him out. I mean, there was, there was a place where you're uh, 
existence in this realm is no longer granted, right? Um, so <laughs> I, I like whoever wrote this, Satan didn't fall from heaven, rather Satan was pushed from heaven, and that's, that's more accurate. Um, to, uh, to ask this question, did God create Satan? <coughs> we kind of already answered it, but God created everything that has ever been, uh, that is, or ever will be. Uh, John 1.3 speaks to that, God created um, but it includes physical beings and spiritual beings. And there's a verse, um, Brother Johnny, would you look up Colossians 1, 15 through 17? And I'll come back to that. That kind of speaks to this. Colossians 1, 15 to 17. The only person who has the power of being in and of himself, meaning that he has no beginning, no ending, and is self-existent is God. That's in Genesis. That's in Exodus chapter 3. Um, all other beings were created by God and belong to God. Tell me when you find that one, bro. 15 through 17. By the way, I say bro a lot. That my two-year-old uh, says it now. And I came into the room a while ago and he says, smell my feet, bro. And I was like, I got to stop saying bro. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, so let's make this clear. If it exists, God made it. It didn't come about any other way, all right? Um, God, God did not make demons to rebel against him. God did not make Lucifer to rebel against him. God did not make Adam and Eve to sin against him, uh, but God did make them. God said when he created all things, he stood back and said, it is good. Behold, it is very good. And so we've got to understand that. Um, You know, speaking this way, it's correct to say, therefore, that God created Lucifer. If you want to say Satan, God created Satan. He didn't create Satan as he is. He created Satan as he was in Lucifer. But it's not correct to say that God created the sin that is within Satan. Satan chose his own course. And maybe this is a verse, um, Isaiah fourteen thirteen. Let me reread this. Isaiah speaks and says, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north. And he, there's, this, there's several I will statements, which are opposed to I am. Satan wanted what God was, right? God says, I am. Satan continuously said, I will, you know, I will be. Um, so there was a desire that was existent within that angel, that he had free will to choose to be greater than God, right? And so there is an existing or a, a pre-existing condition for the opportunity to sin. Now, there was a willfulness created in angels, evidently. Um, I 
I would say that if it once exists and help me, you know, y'all can help me, okay? I don't know everything. I promise you. No. I agree with that. And that makes it what's real love and real worship, right? Because he doesn't create robots in any sense of the form. So the cherubim and the seraphim and everything that's there, they choose to worship and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy at all times. They're, they're, God doesn't have to make something to worship him. He was self-existent and fully fulfilled in the Trinity by itself. And so he created these beings, and they must want to do that. And so... I don't know how else, I think you're right. I don't know how else to explain that. Yeah. That's a good point. That's right. Satan's not omnipresent as God is. God can be present everywhere at once. Um, His spirit manifests itself in every believer and in every church. Right now, if there's churches all across the world that are having services where two or three are gathered, there he is, and he hasn't diminished himself in any way. Satan can't do that. He can be somewhere, but he can send his evil forces, demonic power, and he's well organized, remember that, to go wherever he needs them to go. Have I? Man, I believe so. I, well, you know what? Maybe not Satan himself. I can't say like with Jesus that I was tempted and tried and sifted like wheat by the enemy, by Satan himself. But I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have had demonic attacks against me um, just in mind, um, I mean, there have been moments where it's been so intense and real um, that it couldn't have been anything else. And how I know that it was spiritual was in those moments, this is all I know to do. In the mighty name of Jesus, God, I, your name is powerful and all have to bend their knee and bow to you. Jesus, Jesus, protect me, help me, deliver me. And there is a calming and a blessed assurance that comes with that. And that doesn't just happen. I mean, if you're attacking me as a physical person, flesh and blood, and I say, in the mighty name of Jesus, get behind me, Satan. Uh, You're still going to stab me to death probably, right? I mean, uh, they're like, crazy idiot, you know, and just there you go. Uh, But a spiritual force has to obey the authority that is laid before them in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And that's why I say this, and people will, even Christians will look at you like you're crazy. Use the name of Jesus and never use it in vain, right? The name of Jesus is high and powerful, higher than any other name. At the name of Jesus, uh, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at the name of Jesus. And so there's power in that. So I don't know, Charles, I don't think I, don't think I would have ever stood up, even unless God and he does, was there to protect me against Satan himself. I know angels are stronger supernaturally than we as humans are. 
And if it weren't for the covering and the filling of the Holy Spirit and the protection from other angels, there wouldn't be a chance that any of us stood. So I don't think I could have stood. I don't think I could have. Maybe there have been moments where he's been standing by like Saul was holding the cloaks of those who went and stoned Stephen. Maybe Satan was there, but I think I don't think he would have won against God. That would have been outside of me altogether. That would have been God versus Satan over me, if that makes any sense. Please, man. Get me off the hot seat a little bit. Um, in my 60-something years in ministry, I've only faced two times that I believe that in my presence there was a uh, Satan uh, taking over someone. In Hughes, Arkansas, we were in a revival, and they brought a young lady in who said she was an atheist. And the lady that brought her said, Preacher, come and visit her, us, us in the office, you and the pastor and the evangelist. So we go in, we go in, uh, go in and um, talk to her. And while we were talking to her, she began to foam at her mouth. She was a little southern girl, the young lady, soft voice. She spoke in a man's voice, a deep man's voice. It couldn't have been fake, this little southern girl, and she spoke like that. And when I was uh, down at Paris, Arkansas, before I moved to Rogers, a lady comes to my office, and she was talking about some doctrinal things we disagreed on. And all of a sudden, she started cursing me in a man's voice, and she foamed at the mouth. The only time my, I've never been afraid of anyone in my whole life, but a hair on the back of my neck stood up. I've never experienced that before. There was only two times in my whole ministry I faced what I really believe a demon attack or Satan's attack and through someone. And um, the man's voice, you've heard this probably before, but that actually happened to me. Personify. That's right. Yep. Yes, sir. You want this? People need to hear from you, Brother Randy. No, I, I, the Brother Ben's illustrations there and what he described, in what form can we judge and see that it is a demonic? Yeah. And in what form do we see those types of things? I've never seen anything that Brother Ben's described, but I've felt the, the presence of, of evil right at times. But I don't know that I'm, it's up to me to say that form or whatever I'm seeing is of Satan and, and what I'm, what's being, what I'm perceiving. Yeah, and I'll tell you this, guys. I mean, it's so difficult sometimes uh, to differentiate it shouldn't be, but hear me. Sometimes it's so difficult to differentiate. Is this God telling me this or is this Satan trying to tempt me to do this? I mean, have you all experienced that? Um, when you started asking that question, it made me think immediately of Mark 9, where Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. Now, here's something. We read, especially in the New Testament, I don't know, maybe y'all can correct me, I don't remember reading many manifestations of demons in the Old Testament. There weren't, right? But we read about the... Okay. 
we, we start after John the Baptist posts that throughout the ministry of the disciples reading about these demon possessions that are occurring. Demons are still real. You know, I don't watch, I don't watch horror movies, okay? I don't watch movies like The Ring or The Exorcist or things like that. I mean, I get it. There's entertainment value in some of that, and there's nothing wrong if you've watched those. But I, I already think, man, there's enough. In my job, there's enough hurt and pain and sickness and sadness and wrong that I don't need to go fill my mind or watch anything else because it's already difficult enough. But do demons, let me ask you all this, do demons still have the ability to possess unbelievers today? There's yeses and nos. Say why. I mean, listen, let's talk it through. Unbelievers, yeah. Not believers. Because if you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, I need a scripture and verse here, but there is no room for the devil to fill you. There can't be. Um, Can he still possess unbelievers today? Yes. We oftentimes don't pay attention to spiritual things as a society, right? Um, was was getting uh, fitted for a suit, and he may have told you this story too. The gentleman that was there was talking about a mission trip where uh, they experienced someone in Africa that was falling on the ground and doing a lot of the same things that you said they were doing. Uh, they were just um, out of their mind. Their eyes were rolled back in their head and these things. And as... demons react in a certain way in the presence of the Lord Almighty. And Randy, to answer your question, what are some manifestations of that to kind of see? I want to read just this uh, text, if y'all bear with me, uh, in Mark chapter 9. Mark 9, 14. And when the disciples, or when they came to the disciples... They saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes were arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, (laughs) let me tell you something here. Who's coming here? Who is they? It's important. James and John were with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, right? And they come back down the mountainside to the people, and they see all the other apostles that are standing there. And there's this huge argument amongst the apostles and disciples and the scribes. And it says, immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And they asked him, what are you, uh, and he asked them, the people there, Jesus did, what are you arguing about with these people? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. You might think in modern language, if we're just explaining science and our knowledge of the medical world, that this boy just had seizures. Maybe he had a sickness that came over him sometimes, right? But obviously there was something here that Jesus saw that said, this isn't normal, right? Because honestly, have any of y'all ever had seizures? Um, You you have, right? What? Something happens there where um, it's kind of unexplainable, and it scares the people that are around us. I remember you had an episode with sugar one day, and it was kind of like, man, you weren't 
you weren't fully coherent like regular Teresa, you know, like, and I'm not saying you were possessed by a demon. I'm not saying anything like that. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but to the untrained mind, all that I know is, goodness, something's wrong with her, and she's, she's having a seizure, and I wouldn't even know what to do, to be honest with you. I know comfort your head, um, put your finger in your mouth. Is that what you're supposed to? No, I'm teasing. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's an unusual thing. So this is different. The, the, the daddy here of the little boy who's talking to Jesus says, So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them. Jesus did. The words written in red here. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring the little boy to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw him, when the Spirit saw Jesus, he immediately convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. No explicit term, length of, of time. It has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw it, a crowd came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, the demon came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took the little boy by the hand and lifted him up. And he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Uh, I think it says in Matthew, by prayer and fasting. Um, there, there was something different, okay? And I'm trying to answer Randy's question in a way, and maybe y'all can help me answer it. To see an unclean spirit. And, and I don't know how to frame this in the context of versus a sickness or an illness. Because we call everything sickness today. We don't acknowledge that it's a spiritual malformity or, or something of that nature. But I think that what you see is that it's unresponsive to medicine. I think it's unresponsive to physical treatment. Um, I think that it is... Um, manifesting certain signs. And over and again, we keep hearing these signs of eyes rolling, rolling on the ground, teeth grinding, mouth foaming, these type of things. There's something to that. And I've seen enough horror movie scenes to know that they always depict that in a movie. But what in real life? What do y'all think? Uh, help me out here. Yes, Miss Donna.
it's not. Abnormal abilities, super strength, something that can't be quantified or diagnosed as a psychological disorder. It's a possession, and you hear medically trained people that are calling it that. Uh, I think those are good descriptors. Um, I don't think as human beings we're really equipped to cast out demons. I mean, obviously, Jesus is disciples, and he's given us authority, uh, powers, but... Um, we can't do it without his help and, and ability. And he came and went, yeah. That's true. There was a trigger there, right? Yeah, just the self-doubt, which causes you to doubt really God's um, love for you maybe or his uh, authority and power over you, his protective ability over you. Those little doubts, those are just chinks in the armor. You know, I don't know if you guys, I love J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. Uh, I mean, a couple of authors I've read a lot. And the movies aren't good depictions of the books. I'm not telling you how to go out and get the books, Miss Rhonda, okay? But Tolkien Tolkien wrote uh, The Hobbit, right? And he wrote, you like those books too, don't you, Rob? Um, He wrote the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I'm actually reading a book right now, uh, Finding Christ in the Lord of the Rings, and it's evident if you look for it because Tolkien was writing about God a lot. Uh, But there was a dragon in The Hobbit named Smog. And Smog was awful. He was terrible. He was fierce. Um, people feared him. And he was unstoppable. I mean, you think the best weaponry at that time were hammers and axes and swords. Uh, nobody thought that Smog could be stopped. But underneath um, his underbelly, near his neck, there was one scale that was missing, right? This kind of goes to your point. Um, 
that one scale that was missing turned out to be Smog's demise because that's exactly where he was hit when he was killed. And we look at and think, what are the chinks in my armor? We talk about spiritual armor. Um, there are chinks in it, and Satan tries to find those chinks where it's weakest, where we're maybe not underneath, uh, where we're not fully surrendered to God in our lives, that area, and he exploits and he exploits and he presses and he pushes and he, he goes after that one point. He knows maybe he can't affect your salvation, so he doesn't mess with the helmet, but he may see that there's something there in your breastplate. There's a little gap right there, and he's going to go there and there and there again and again. And so anything that's not surrendered to, fully surrendered to the authority of God in your life is a place where Satan is looking to attack. And maybe that's mentally, maybe that's emotionally, maybe that's physically, I don't know. But you're absolutely right, Miss Dale. And that is what's scary for us because it gets overwhelming thinking, man, i got to be so strong with my guard up all the time. And um, sometimes it gets a little disheartening to be honest with you, think, man, let's, let's be this strong all the time. Amen. That, that's right. In those moments, you're right. Uh, listen, Christ ever intercedes for us on behalf, uh, on uh, behalf of us to, unto God and the Holy Spirit is not only making that intercession, but there is that protection that was within us. You know, we've talked about the bad, and we really haven't talked about the good. And so it gets kind of depressing when you get in this valley and you're thinking, man, does this get better? I mean, is it okay? Man, it kind of stinks to be a Christian, it sounds like. If somebody's in here that's not a believer, they're like, eh, eh, man, I've already got hard enough in this world as it is. I don't need what these people are talking about. But here's the truth of it. If every one of us were to stand up and testify about the goodness of God, it would always override the badness of Satan, right? And so we're not sitting here like, oh, man, we're whooped, we're defeated, we're beaten, we're broken, we're overcome, we're cast down. Uh, no, much more than that. Uh, he is for us, and we are winners. And uh, I think the majority of us live joy-filled lives in Jesus Christ to an extent that we never experienced before Jesus. And so that's the beautiful part of this. Uh, and then we didn't even get to, we haven't gotten to, I don't know if we can tonight, if y'all want to, talk about angels at all. We talked about their messengers, and that's what they are. They're servants of the Lord. They fight for us. They protect us, you know. But um, we have a hope that is beyond worldly hope. And we, we cast that, I quote that scripture a lot to myself, greater is he that is in me than he who's in this world so that I don't get beat up too bad. Were you going to say something else? That's right. And they chose, they chose. Yep. And I don't know who said it a while ago, uh, but they, and it may have been you, Johnny, I don't remember. They saw the angels that exist in heaven that are there, the elect angels that are with the Lord, saw what happened. They saw the demise. They saw the futility. They know the end result. And who wants that? You know, if we have a choice to say, I want eternity with God in, in a utopian Eden-type heaven, or I want an eternity in hell where the worm dieth not and the flame is never quenched, what you going to choose, man? 
And that's the crazy thing for us on this side of salvation in faith in Jesus is we know the results. Before Jesus, we don't really know. I mean, you may have a head knowledge of saying, yeah, there's a heaven and there's a hell. I believe there's a God. But we don't grasp the eternity of the matter, the foreverness of the matter. And now, you know, it's, it's up to us to try to convince other people uh, just through our testimony and through the teaching and preaching of the gospel that, man, there's a better way. There's a hope for you. Um, we're all going to experience difficulty in this life. But the difference between me and you without Jesus is me with Jesus. I have a hope. I have security. I have a foundation. I have a place to go. And he's much more than a crutch for me. He's my everything. I can cast my burdens upon him because he cares for me. If I draw near to him, he draws near to me. He covers me with the pinions of his wings. I mean, on and on and on. And that's why it's good to constantly hide in your heart the promises of God. Because there are moments every day when you need to reclaim those promises and literally preach to yourself because Satan's so good at deceiving and lying to us. Y'all want to stop there? <laughs> Let's stop, okay? Um, I had, uh, I, I think that was, uh, hold on. I'll tell you the other questions that I'd written down for myself is, um, well, what, what does the Bible say about angels? What, what are the purpose of angels? And uh, what does the Bible say about demons? Um, we covered a lot of that. I'll read this kind of last paragraph, and we'll close there. Satan and his demons are currently looking to destroy the work of God and to deceive anyone and everyone that they can. The demons are described as evil spirits in Matthew chapter 10, unclean spirits in Mark chapter 1, lying spirits in 1 Kings 22, and angels of Satan in Revelation chapter 12. Satan and his demons deceive the world, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. They uh, perpetuate this false doctrine, 1 Timothy 4. They attack Christians, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. And they combat the holy angels, Revelation 12, verse 4. Um, I'm not on my game tonight. There's a passage in the Old Testament where um, Daniel is praying for deliverance and help from God, and the answer doesn't come. You remember this? And I think it was, somebody help me, how many days was it? 21 days. Thank you, Miss Linda. Thank you so much for knowing that and remembering that. 21 days, there was no answer. And finally, the answer came, and the angel had delivered the message and the security and salvation there. And we're told that that angel was held up in combat uh, against evil fallen angels. And so the moment the prayer was asked, the angel was dispatched. God sent the answer. But there was a hindrance of the reception of that because there was a spiritual war in place that was so heavy in conflict that the angel who was coming, the answer that was coming, was delayed and not permitted at that time. And so, guys, don't lose hope. What would you say? The Prince of Persia. That's right. Don't lose hope, okay? Above all things, keep praying because God is for us, not against us. God will never, he has never, 
He is not ever, and he will never leave you or forsake you. And that's the beauty of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Demons and fallen angels are enemies of God, but they're defeated enemies through the cross. And I know that's hard for us to grasp because we're still like, I suffer the effects. But their ultimate demise has already been laid in plan. And Jesus is still in the process of working out the redemption of all mankind. Sometimes we have to suffer so that others can get saved. Sometimes difficulties come upon us so that there's a testimony that we can give to help others have hope and find Jesus Christ. Um, and it's tough. I get it. None of us say, oh, well, I want, I want persecution and trial and struggle. But when you walk with God through those things, your testimony grows to the point where God gets every bit of glory and people see that you've overcome and they're like, how did you do that? And you get to say, hey, God did that. And this is how I made it through. Every day I was on my knees. I was asking friends to pray for me. I went to church. I studied the word, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is. Christ, listen to Colossians 2.15. Christ has disarmed the powers and authorities. And he's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And as you and I submit uh, to God and resist the devil, 1 John 4, 4 says, the one, this is the last verse I had, the one who is in you, greater is he that is in you than he who is in this world. So that was my last verse to go to. You stole my thunder, all right? I'm, I'm joking, Miss Jimmy. Um, good study, y'all. Um, deep. Maybe make you want to go study some more, right? Uh, sorry, Marvin, I didn't go by those. Uh, thank you for typing those in, man. I'll buy you lunch one day, all right? I'll do like Brother Ben does to me. We'll go to Dairy Queen and you can have anything off the children's menu, all right? <laughs> That's the true story, though. Uh, <laughs> yes, sir. Do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. Man, that's good. That's cool, man. Yes, sir. Yeah. I, thanks, Randy. Yeah. Amen, man. It blesses my heart. Listen, we would hope that, you know, hundreds and hundreds could hear, but I don't know how many are here tonight, maybe 60 people. Uh, if we've heard it, then that gives us the opportunity to share it with somebody. And um, we have a mission field out there, man. And I am thankful for a church that's hungry for the Word of God. Uh, it encourages me. It's not, it's not the easiest thing in the world because we've been teaching Sunday school, preaching Sunday mornings, teaching Sunday nights, teaching Wednesday nights. Uh, there's a lot of study that goes into it, but it's so rewarding and fulfilling when it's met with enthusiasm and people that know the Word of God and want more of it so that we can go out and share more of it. That's what keeps me going. And so I'm thankful for that. All right. Let's pray out of here, y'all. Thank you for being here tonight. I hope it's not raining on us when we get out of here. If it is, um, 
None of y'all going to melt. I promise you that, all right? <laughs> Lord, you're good to us, and we love you. God, in the name of Jesus, we claim the promises. Uh, we claim that your plan is best. Forgive us when we step out of line. Forgive us when we doubt. Uh, Lord, forgive us of our failures. Uh, Lord, we ask that as a blanket prayer for the body tonight. We also ask God as a blanket prayer over us that as we go out this week, that uh, we know this, God, it's going to be real. As we step into spiritual battles, uh, resistance happens. And Lord, I pray that nobody gets discouraged this week to the point that they give up. I pray that we would buckle on that belt tomorrow morning, that we would put on our helmet of salvation and our breastplate of righteousness and uh, Lord, the rest of the pieces of armor, Lord, and that we would stand firm and stand ready because um, as Miss Jimmy has reminded us uh, from John that a greater are you who is right now and will forever be within us than any enemy, power, principality, force that is in this world. Lord, we have victory. And we claim the cross of Jesus. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus. Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters. We pray for power this week to stand up and be over conquerors that you've called us to be. And Lord, to be bold with the gospel, not be afraid, to not cower before the enemy. Uh, Lord, let us speak up. No matter what we've done, it's all been forgiven by the blood of Christ. We're freely forgiven. And Lord, we're free to go forward in grace and mercy, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for tonight. Thank you that you've overcome this devil that we heard about. Thank you that we have eternal life. and There's nothing that he can do to snatch us out of your hands, Lord. We ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.